Hello, Jane. Hello. So, how are you? I am so well, thank you. So, I have finally found the cure for a number of little niggling ailments. I've now totally on top of it and feel a million times better. What was it that worked? Um, a number of things, Clive. Um, a number of things kind of made incremental changes. But the big ticket item is the um, Nature's Marvels peptides. Oh, right. Tell, tell me about what you what you discovered. So I um, kind of coinciding with menopause, had a few little menopausal issues, but nothing, nothing huge. A um, few little joint pains, which the magnesium knocked on the head. Um, some dry skin, the iodine sorted that out. But I have just two years ago overnight became an insomniac. Wow. Just couldn't sleep, having having always slept like a baby. Oh. It was almost like someone had flipped a switch, and no matter what I did, couldn't sleep. Um, so tried lots of different things, as I say little bits of change but nothing massive um and eventually I thought I'm sure my body knows the answer to this I'm sure that if I really tune in I know the answer to this um so I did just that and I just heard the words adrenal and so I thought okay um had a little look on Secret Health Club, was looking at adrenals, um, and then was looking at your shop, and I thought, I'm just going to try the Nature's Marvels, and they're, they're quite expensive because you need a number of months of them. It's amazing, Clive. How quickly did it work? Like, literally, the first night I slept better, I wouldn't say the first night, it, it wasn't a switch. The first night I slept better um, and within a week, I was sleeping normally again. Wow. And I feel, I mean, I, I, I didn't feel ill with it, but I was starting to um, have a negative impact. It's just so flipping tired all the time. Yeah, wow. Um, and, but they're amazing. So um how many days was it until you were sleeping right through the night uh so you take um a 10-day course it says take a 10-day course once a month if you're having severe issues so um i've only taken one 10-day course and i'm sleeping properly wow so may hopefully that's reset you what yeah. we've got two more boxes and i'll i'll kind of see how things are next month but yeah, I think that maybe the menopause had just been the final thing that had made my adrenals go, do you know what? I've got nothing left to give you now. Hmm. Well, that, well, that's that's very good news. That's I, very good news. Yeah. So, feeling amazing. Excellent. <laughs> so, um, let's discuss you and your work because uh, when we talked on the secret health club on the ask clive anything what you were saying was extremely interesting can you uh, enlighten the, the viewers yeah of course um so i kind of describe myself as a, a a natural health practitioner for animals um in the main i tend to specialize with cats and dogs because that's where I've got a real interest. Um, but I have done work with um, a range of different animals. Um, and I guess I come at things from um, a total environment point of view. So if, a, um, if an animal's got a particular issue, rather than just focusing on that issue i like to have a look at you know what what's what's the whole situation here so rather than dealing with this is the symptom and what what things might help 
alleviate that symptom, to me, the real interest and the real satisfaction is around what's really causing this. Because if we can get to the root cause of it, then we can alleviate it. So um, I've done all different qualifications. Um, I've got a degree in behaviour, in animal behaviour, um, but I'm also qualified in nutrition. Um, I'm qualified in canine massage. Um, and I'm really interested in the thing that we were talking about on the Secret Health Club. I'm really interested in this idea that at their core, animals have an ability to self-select in order to heal themselves. Now, I think we probably all have that. It's just that many of the human species have forgotten how to do that. But I think animals know exactly how to do that. And if you can offer them a range of potential solutions to their problem, be that essential oils, be that herbs, be that minerals, then I think that they intuitively know what they need in order to heal. So that's really um, what I focus on. I, I feel like I've kind of got this, this toolkit um, of all different things. And then depending upon what's going on with that animal um, and PS, what might be going on with the people they live with, because, you know, I, I'm a great believer that our animals are just reflecting our energy as well. Um, so I then have a little look in my toolkit and decide what I think might be some of the tools to try with that animal. Um, and I'm particularly interested in, I've done quite a lot of rescue work, Clive. So I'm particularly interested in what I call the ASBO animals. So I really like, I'm always attracted to those animals that no one else wants. Um, so I'm really interested in animals that have what we call behavior problems. Um, and I'm, I've got a real soft spot for senior animals as well. And I, I feel really passionately about senior care and um, just as passionately about end of life as well. So I see so much in the traditional world of animal care that um, appalls me in terms of senior animals and in terms of end of life. So I feel I'm on a little bit of a mission to try and change some of that in whatever small way I can. Well, that's brilliant. I remember taking a couple of my cats to a local vet years ago, and he said, well, look, I can tell tell you exactly what cat food you've been feeding your, your, your cat with by the um, disease, the problem that it's got. If it's kidney, it's going to be this brand. If it's, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you advise people to feed their dogs and cats natural food, i.e. raw? Yeah, um, um, I mean, it, my own personal preference would be raw. Um, but I'm also very aware that um, you have to judge each situation as you find it. And, and if someone has got a cat, for instance, and they've had cats for all their lives, and they've always fed them X brand, then just saying to them, well, that's no good and you need to feed raw is probably a step too far and will probably result in them doing nothing. So I sometimes feel like it's important to have the end game in mind and the end game for me, for many animals, not all animals, but for many animals, I think raw is the best food. Um, 
but sometimes that has to you have to work in steps as well to a get the guardian on board um b work within budgets because you know that's increasingly a big issue for animal um guardians um but also the animal you know i i often say to people um and i've had i've had cats in this situation myself before I really knew what I know now. Um, if you fed them a dry manufactured kibble their whole life, in effect, that's like taking them to McDonald's every day. And if you did that to a human being every day of their life, and then age 20 or 25, you presented them with um, a beautifully prepared kale salad with a homemade dressing on it and um, some lovely char-grilled organic chicken, they would just look at you as if to say, what is this? And their taste buds wouldn't taste it because they're used to McDonald's. So, you know, I think also you have to be aware that sometimes things aren't going to happen overnight and this may be an interim process and, and even even if I can get someone off a kibble to um, a decent quality wet wet food that that's a win that might not be the end game as far as I would want to feed my animals but that feels like a win I mean, clearly, if you're starting off with a kitten or a puppy, you can start them on raw and they don't know any different. It, it's jolly difficult. I've got a cat sitting next to me right now yeah. and it won't touch anything that's not its favourite brand. Yeah. It just goes, what kind of thing is that? I know. And, and cats are the worst for that. Dogs are a lot easier to change their food um, because in the main, and this is a generalisation, because clearly like us they're all different but in the main dogs will often eat what's put in front of them whereas cats I mean you know I sometimes again before I'd really become as educated as I am now on it um, I used to feed uh, what I thought was a really good quality uh, wet food um, and felt quite proud of myself because I thought, oh, look at me buying a high quality wet food for my cat. Um, but I would often buy a multi-pack and my cat would look at me at the two sachets of lamb flavoured one in the multi-pack, which I don't think any of them have seen lamb. They all look the same mush to me. But the cat would look at me as if to say, we've had this conversation before. Mm -hmm. I don't like the lamb one. Why do you persist in putting this down? So um, how, how does somebody really know if the food they're being offered is worth buying? Is, is there an easy way to tell or is it just price? Um, it's not even just price. So uh, unfortunately, uh, the same, you know, with ourselves, the less ingredients, the better. Um, and I would always make sure that the first two ingredients are named meat sources. So if it talks about meat rather than the specific name of a meat, I would avoid that because that's probably some god awful scrapings off the ground um, and might even be roadkill. Um, might be um, euthanized animals. I mean, it, the more you look into the pet food industry, Clive, the, the more horrified I am as to just how poorly regulated it is. And once again, how well the marketing people have managed to con us all into thinking that we're doing the best thing for our animals are they putting addictive drugs in animal food yeah i mean i quite often say to people um that if they show an interest in wanting to move to raw food i will with half a smile on my face but in my mind i'm quite serious 
say, you know that we're going to have to put them through a 12-step program now. Because they've absolutely sugar addicted. Oh. They are carb addicted. I so if you look at most pet foods, uh, they will have such a high level of carbs. Um, and, you know, what the marketing people do is all kinds of sneaky things like um, it's grain free. And then you look at the ingredients and it will be full of pea protein and potatoes and all different legumes and pulses. And whilst they're good things in moderation for us, they're not good things for many of our animals. They're certainly not good things for cats. You know, cats are obligate carnivores, that's it. They do not need anything else apart from meat. Um, and most of our cats, we are filling with carbs and they've grown to quite like it and so as we've done with humans we've changed their taste buds and so they then think that this muck that's covered in a palatant you know they spray it with a chemical to make it really attractive to pets and so they just become addicted. I mean, it's the same story as our processed food. Um, but there's very little choice in terms of animals, unless you're going to do it yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think I joke about the 12-step programme, but I'm not really joking. You know, I think that, unfortunately, we have rewired their brains um we have because you know it's full most foods are full of corn are full of soy um they undoubtedly are full of inflammation because the the omega-3s are so high uh, the omega-6s rather are so high um rather than the, having a decent balance between the omega-3s and the omega-6s um so I'm convinced that the vast majority of modern illnesses that we see in our pets are same as humans. They're illnesses of our diet. You know, so, when you look at things like kidney disease in cats and hyperthyroidism in cats, which are absolutely endemic, it's almost now accepted that your cat will get to this certain age and they will have kidney and or hyperthyroidism. Um, if you start to look at global figures on those, you'll see that those high incidents of kidney disease, of hyperthyroidism are very much in Western countries where we go to the supermarket and we throw in some pet food into our trolley along with all the other processed stuff that we throw in for ourselves. Uh, so in, in humans, the reason why most people become hypothyroid and hyperthyroid for that matter is lack of iodine, mm -hmm. mainly because of the chlorine and the fluoride yeah. that they're using. Um, does a tiny amount of iodine work for a cat, say? I don't know, Clive, and I'd be really interested. I've never, I mean, knowing that I take the iodine and knowing um, what an effect, positive effect it's had for me. Um, I have done some research and I can't find any research either for or against. I mean, there'll be a hundred bets saying that you shouldn't do it, but it won't be backed up with any research. So I'd be really interested. I'd, I'd really like to understand more about some of the supplements that we know have such a positive effect for us and similarly have such a negative effect if we don't have them. I'd really like to understand more about that with animals. Uh, with, with the iodine, it makes sense to me that if your pet is being uh, fed drinking water straight from the tap, chlorine, fluoride, antibiotics, God knows what, yeah. um, that it would 
as it would in us reduce our iodine yeah um because they'll be getting it from food they'll be getting it from the air if they're near the coast yeah but um uh you know iodine of course can i was going to say it can be put on topically but that might be really bad for a cat's skin i um I mean, one of the things I have done, um, and again, I was able to do this because it was my own cat. Um, my own cat was um, diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. And I thought, here we go. This is going to be a lifetime of medication um, that A, will <laughs> cost a fortune. Um, B, as you know from living with a cat, will be an absolute nightmare in terms of administering it. And you'll be taking your life into your own hands very quickly. Um, and so I used, um, again, by self-selection, uh, seaweed essential oil. Yeah. Oh, essential oil. Mm. Yeah. And just used to offer it to her. Um, and that seemed to, I mean, she didn't, didn't go on medication and she seemed fine. Um, so I just would occasionally offer that and sometimes she would ignore it. And sometimes she seemed to really want to inhale it. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, I guess that is, that's positive evidence. Yeah, that's very interesting. Providing, but, but it's a sample size of one client. What, what 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 other well, well what things have you seen that have been so amazing and so common perhaps that you know suggestions that you could make that would cover the average uh, dog or cat owner if my if, if my video disappears uh, don't worry about it I'm still here okay um, so as you have said kidneys are a major challenge um again you know I'm, I'm sure that a lot of that is um the water that we are told to drink and the crap food that we give to our animals in the main so kidneys are definitely in um, a challenge and i have um found that both juniper oil and sandalwood oil um, have been really helpful with those. Um, again, with cats, I would always just offer it um, because cats don't um, aren't able to metabolize oil if it's on them or it, they um, take it into them. It can be dangerous. Dogs, you can in the main dogs. Um, they can lick it and you can rub it on. So, yes, yeah, sandalwood oil and juniper uh, oil are really useful for those. Um, I am doing some work with a dog at the moment who has developed a number of um, kind of fatty lumps. Um, they're not sinister. They're just fatty lumps, um, but quite a few of them. And that's particularly in older dogs that's quite normal you quite often see dogs with these sort of fatty lumps um and we're rubbing um grapefruit oil mixed in aloe vera so a, a mixture of a, a good quality organic aloe vera um with uh 20 drops of grapefruit oil in it um offer it to the dog first of all um, if they walk away, then honour that. They're telling you, no, that isn't for me. But in the main, I have found that with fatty lumps, they're all over it. And dogs will even do this beautiful thing where they'll show you where they want you to put it. So I have had dogs literally going like that to me to show me that they want it on their belly. Um, so that mixture um, of aloe vera and uh, again, when I say essential oils, um, it, they need to be really good quality essential oils, organic um, from a really good source. Um, so, yeah, uh, grapefruit's amazing at breaking down lumps. 
Um, for cats, uh, quite often they will get sniffles, get kind of cat flu kind of symptoms, sniffly kind of symptoms, sometimes you know, runny noses, runny eyes. Um, again, I mean, I love oils for those things. So uh, garlic oil, amazing. Uh, just offer it to them and you'll be amazed if they've got those symptoms how many times they will just sit and take it in um clove oil kind of a lot of the antibacterial oils are useful for colds and sniffles so clove cinnamon garlic um yeah, and, and what, what's amazing is you offer those to a well cat and they'll run a mile. I bet if you offered your cat garlic oil now, she or he would just run off um, and think, what are you doing? Why are you offering me garlic? I don't eat garlic. Um, but they will just sit and they get this look, particularly when they really need it, they get this look of almost being mesmerized. Um, so those, those, yeah, those would be top things that I would use. And I would definitely, for any animal who's older, um, I would definitely offer things like spirulina. That's interesting. Um, because it's just full of goodness, absolutely chock full of goodness. Um, and most old animals will lap it up. Um, so I'd normally, if it's a dog, I would normally offer a little bit dry and a little bit mixed in some um, good quality water. Um, and offer it to them and see which one they take. Sometimes they'll want it dry, sometimes they'll want it um, mixed up. If it's a cat, I normally would offer it in a nice oil, something like a comfrey oil, which is got some quite nice pain quality anyway for an older cat. Um, so yeah, you're just, just really flooding their system with good quality vitamins, minerals, and a, a good protein source as well. And for teeth issues, clove, garlic, that sort of thing? Um, so I like seaweed uh, sprinkled on to help with tartar. So a little bit of seaweed, good quality seaweed powder sprinkled on their food is really good to help break down tartar. Um, so I like that as a preventative. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, clove oil would be a good one. Um, if they'd got um, kind of inflammation, I might start offering uh, a sort of an anti-inflammatory oil, a, a, a German chamomile or... Um, yeah, probably German camel or yarrow, something like that. I tend to kind of talk to the guardian, understand what I think might be going on and then get out a little range of things and, and let the animal decide. And they are, they're so amazing at guiding us, but you have to be patient. You know, a lot of the times um, the guardian will say, oh no, well, he, he doesn't like that, does he? And I suggest to just be patient. Um, so you have to be patient and their signs can be very subtle. So the difference between a yes and a no in terms of wanting and accepting an oil can be very, very subtle. Um, you know, it's not like us going, oh, no, I don't want that. Uh, sometimes it can be the difference between a little head movement, a licking of the lips, a blinking of the eyes. Um, so you, you have to kind of know what you're looking for. Um, but if you let them guide you, 
I, I, I so believe that animals are amazing teachers on so many levels. Um, I was watching a, um, a video not that long ago from a, oh God, what was the guy called? Michael, Michael Hoffman, I think it was Michael Hoffman. Um, and he's been, he's done quite a lot of work out in Africa with um, quite a lot of indigenous tribes. And that's his specialism, not really animals. But he was really interested in how they self-medicate um, because they don't, um, lucky them, have the array of medical interventions that we have. So they have to look to nature to find their solutions. And um, I was really interested when he was saying, I was really shocked that they said they just look at the animals. They look at the animals and they see what plants they're taking and what leaves they're taking and what roots they're taking. And so they've they've kind of got their own healthcare system, these Tanzanian tribes, which has been purely from watching wild animals. You know, monkeys taking the leaves of a bush that for most of the year is poisonous to them. But for one month of the year, at the time of year that they have parasites, they can eat and it gets rid of the parasites. I mean, anyone who says that animals aren't intelligent, wow. Well, they're, they're still in a stage of oneness, one might say. Yeah, totally, totally. But the intelligence of, not just knowing that this plant's going to heal me, but for 11 months of the year, I need to leave it alone because it will kill me. But for one month of the year, yes, that's that's my nature's pharmacy. Yeah, fantastic. And um, what, what else would you recommend for people if, you know, let's, let's take an elderly dog, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, Spirulina obviously sounds like a, a brilliant food. Yeah. Would you increase, let's say, the amount of organ meat, liver, for instance, in 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 their food? How, how would you approach it? Yeah. So, um, as we said earlier, in an ideal world, I would have most cats and dogs on raw food. Um, and as part of that. Uh, there always needs to be um, a good percentage of organ meat in that. You know, as I've heard you saying many times, you know, the alpha wolf goes for the liver first. So that's where the goodness is. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would make sure that they were getting quality food because nothing nothing is going to take the place of that you know no no amount of uh supplements medication treatment anything is going to take the place of food i think that's for us obviously for them as well it's it's at the core of health nothing you know everything else um is just going to be a band-aid if they're not getting the right nutrients so I'd really focus on food. Um, I would try and get them on um, raw food and ideally, and I know lots of people find this quite overwhelming, but a homemade raw food, because unfortunately um, the raw food processed industry has um, mushroomed in the last few years as well and not all of them are equal uh, so you know I would home make my food and then I know exactly what's going into it um, and that needs to be um, a mixture of meat um, it needs to have um, some egg or some fish in it um, two or three times a week. Um, a 
reasonably small amount of vegetables um, for dogs, not cats. Um, again, you know, as high quality as, as you can, um, chopped up really small. Um, and I would make sure for an older animal, I would want to um, give them a B12 supplement. Um, so a good liquid B12 supplement and just put a little bit of that on their food because as they get older, um, they find it harder to manufacture the B12. They find it harder to get pull what they need out of food. Um, and in the last few years, I've seen a kind of a rise in literature about doggy dementia. I don't know whether you've seen this, but, you know, this kind of talk of doggy dementia and um, I guess kitty dementia. But, you know, that this concept seems to. Um, I'm always suspicious when I read things and I think, why are we trying to get this into the narrative? Um, but see, doggy dementia seems to be something that we're trying to get into the narrative, probably because, oh, look, we've got doggy Prozac and we've got all these things that we can give them. But undoubtedly, like us, if you're not putting in really good food, your brain function is going to start to decline. So I absolutely would make sure that I was focused for older animal, for any animal, but for older animals, a B12 supplement, and I'd overtly be looking at um, increasing omega-3s as well, um, so that you're really focused on brain function. And then I'd also be focused on joints and mobility as well. Um, so again, omega-3s, I would probably be looking at something like um, a krill oil, um, but buying in small amounts and refrigerating because I see these huge, great tubs of oil that you can buy for dogs. And I then go into people's houses and they're in some nice toasty cupboard next to the cooker. Um, and I just, I mean, that's just rancid oil that you're feeding your dog. So I would definitely look at a krill oil and I would look at, um, and this is easier said than done, but I would look at a good quality CBD supplement as well, just to, you know, I'd be focused on really good nutrition, make sure that the gut's doing what it needs, focus on the brain, B12, omega-3, um, and focus on the joints. And uh, pretty similar for humans, really, everything you've been talking about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yes. So presumably you've taken a lot of your work through to people you know and said it's, it works for dogs, it might work for you. The second question was, um, uh, have you looked into Dr. Joel Wallach? No. So Dr. Wallach um, wrote the biggest book ever on uh, uh, animal, I'm not quite sure, uh, he, he did thousands and thousands of autopsies, as far as I remember, and he worked for about 20 years just with animals. And he had, I think, the age 13, he'd cured himself of disease. He'd been brought up on a farm, pig farm, I think, and he realised that the symptoms he had as a 13-year-old were the same as the pigs. He started taking the pig pills and cured whatever it was. And so he gave up vet veterinary work to uh, concentrate on humans instead. And right. he, he found that pretty much all the stuff that's been known to cure sheep or whatever for the last 70 years has been totally ignored from a human perspective and things like selenium, yeah. which are great for sheep, were working the same way. So he found things like muscular dystrophy uh, right. could be fixed. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, and yeah. no, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm certain that 
you know, if you look at farm animals, you have to find cost-effective solutions exactly. to any health issues. Um, so I'm sure that at the basis, they've got a lot of the solutions. They're just not expensive enough to market to us, are they? Well, precisely. Absolutely. Um, a lot of my clients tell me how they've used colloidal silver in yeah. place of water to help all, everything from budgies to cats, dogs, you name it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I regularly, in fact, I if I'm out with dogs, I do a lot of work outside. Um, I just, I, I like being outside anyway. Um, but sometimes I find the dynamic with the guardian can be part of the issue. Yes. So I quite like getting the dog outside. Um, and I normally carry colloidal silver with me anyway, because I think, you know, if there, there was a little scrape or anything, then that's a good thing to, to spray on. Well, when I had a farm years ago, we had a horse and it somehow had an accident with a rock when it was just by itself in the field and tore, tore its side open, really a couple of feet or so. Wow. And um, this is out in Spain. And we ha had a farmer who helped us with the organic farm. And uh, he said, oh, that's no problem. We've got making our own olive oil. You got a paintbrush and olive oil, painted olive oil across the gash. And immediately uh, the flies stopped, obviously. And it got better so fast. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with manuka honey. I've quite often put manuka honey on a wound. Um, and that's amazing how quickly that then heals it, particularly if you can find local honey yeah. as well. So it's, you know, bees from your local area. Yeah. But yeah, manuka honey and, and um, green clay as well is really useful to have uh, in the first aid kit, particularly if you've got um, kind of wet source. So um, anything that is a bit, wet on the skin um, and the animals then keeps picking at and making it worse or licking and making it worse or or animals that have been um, over grooming oh. and so they're licking their fur off um, green clay on that um, a kind of dries it up but it also starts to heal the skin as well so you'd make it into a paste and put it on no, I just um, brush it on. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how wet the the problem was oh. and how big the problem was. But in the main, I just brush it on, right. just with okay. a paintbrush, and just brush it on. It, it will um, absorb into the skin, and it just um, is really good for healing, but only on on sort of more wet wet um, sores. And again, it's really safe because the problem with a, when an animal, particularly if they've been over grooming, is they're just going to lick off whatever's on it. Yeah. Um, but the green clay is absolutely fine for them to yeah, do yeah, that. Do, do their bowels a whole host of good? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, any, uh, well could you um, tell people how they can find you? Because you, you're doing sort of consultations. Uh, yeah, so... And herein is a small dilemma that I have. So at the moment, I'm a little bit undercover. Um, so I'm kind of, people find me by word of mouth. Um, because I've got a bit of a dilemma, if I'm really honest, Clive, about having a website. And it's not because I am... Um, bothered about having a website I've got plenty of things to say um, but I've had a couple of minor skirmishes with vets because the vets and I'm I'm generalizing now they clearly are amongst um, vets some amazing people with entirely positive intention so when I talk about vets, I'm talking about the industry, the profession, and they've got a monopoly on healthcare, and they've got a legal monopoly on healthcare. 
Um, so the Veterinary Surgeons Act very clearly says that only vets can um, diagnose and can treat animals. Um, so doing what I do is absolutely fine when it isn't all out there, but I have a little, I have some question marks and I still haven't kind of squared it off in my mind as to how I go about doing this. So I, I've done a couple of talks where a couple of vets have got themselves all a bit angsty and have felt the need to tell the audience that I'm not a vet and all that kind of thing. And I never said I'm a vet. And, you know, if I was dealing with a situation that I didn't feel I was qualified to deal with, I'm a mature enough adult to say, I don't think I'm the right person to deal with this. But my dilemma about having um, a website is that I then open myself up to that, as you well know, in a different guise. Or I then have to start putting some super inauthentic disclaimer on there, which doesn't, I don't believe Clive. So it then doesn't feel like it's me writing it because I don't believe that a vet is required for all of these things, nor do I believe that a vet is necessarily the right answer for a lot of these things. Do I, do I think that sometimes people know to, need to go and see about absolutely yeah. uh, drugs are seldom the answer as you absolutely. know yeah you know and I, I was doing a talk on kind of end of life and euthanasia which I have some views on as well you know I think we've got an endemic of over euthanasia um and again, the vets don't like that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm at that stage of because I want to help people and I really want to help animals, I need to market myself and get myself out there more. Um, but I'm not quite sure how to do that in a way that feels authentic to me. And hiding behind a number of legal legal disclaimers. If I if I had to write a disclaimer, I'd say I am not writing this out of my own free will, but I have to because I'm being forced to. Yeah. Don't take but, it. And that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, you can get away with most things until they tell you off. Yeah. Um, but I mean, are you diagnosing? Well, you could argue that you're not. Look at look at what the word means gnosis is to know or you've got that you know stuff agnosis is not to know diagnosis is two people not knowing yeah. <laughs> people might argue about my definition of it <laughs> but you could just say well i'm not diagnosing uh the dog's doing that for i don't know i don't quite know how you could say it then yeah. treating uh well mm. are you treating or are, are you giving suggestions to yeah. the owner to do the treating yeah you know i i think there are one could argue points, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I know that I need to put something together um, because otherwise it's just going to be, um, it's only ever going to be small. Um, and I feel like I want to do more than that. Uh, and my motivation is purely around animals. I don't have any motivation around me or, wanting my name to be known or um, needing any of that. Um, so I know that I do need to do something. I just, I need to find a way that feels authentic to me. Uh, Remaining smart. true to who I am is really, really critical to me. And I'm not prepared to bend over backwards for these stupid rules and stupid professional egos. Well, you know, but perhaps a private club might be the answer. I mean, for, for, for me, you know, I've got the Secret Health Club, and the, the one rule is that if you are against total health freedom, you can't join. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you, you start, start a website, which is a club, and you write whatever the rules are for your club. As I try to keep it as simple as possible, just to one rule. 
yeah. uh, and say to learn more about what I do and how to contact me you need to join the club and agree to my rules yeah yes uh and you know so nobody can see your website unless you've allowed them in in the first place yeah yeah I mean I I, I kind of been playing a little bit with that having been inspired by your model yeah I I just need I need to I need to work it through in my own mind and I need to as I say remaining true to who I am you know I I had a long career in the corporate world where I wasn't true to who I was uh, and I'm not I am not prepared to play that game again be it for the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons or whoever yeah well, you know, uh, uh, my view is if people s say whatever they might say, well, I'm, I'm not in the medicine business. I'm, you know, I'm in the health business. That's that's a totally different business. You're not in the veterinary business. You're in the animal health business. Uh, you don't use drugs. You don't do surgery. You don't do what vets do. They may say you're in competition, which is what they're worried about. And you can say, well, no, I'm not. I'm doing something totally different. Yeah. There's nothing that you do that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I let the, I don't diagnose or prescribe. The animal itself does that. Yeah. I don't uh, provide, I mean, you, know, you could team up with a company that did provide the essential oils or something, but if, if you didn't provide them, then you're not giving medicines you're, all you're doing is offering suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm sure there's, you'll think your way through that one. Yeah, I mean, I may well, because I'm um, a registered behaviourist, I, I may well front it with that. Right, right. Yes, well, that's perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable. Perfect We're perfectly happy with that. Yeah. So I may well front it with that, and then you know, ha as as you said, have something that's behind a wall um, that opens up to other things. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, I've got to let you go because I've got a, a, another interview to do in about uh, ten minutes. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, the intelligent people will, will work the whole thing out. And, uh, well, thank you so much. It's been really, really fascinating talk, talking to you. And I'm, I hope that there'll be a lot of people who follow your lead and do the same sort of work. Thank you, Clive. Good. Well, uh, thank you. And uh, uh, if you ever want to talk more about this sort of stuff, I'm, I'm always keen to spread this type of information. Well, once I eventually take the plunge into a website, you'll be the first to know. Brilliant. OK, thanks, Jane. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>